You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so tonight, Bezor Hashem, we're going to be continuing with our series of shirim on the world of Ishbitz and Radzin. And tonight's shir is going to be titled, Living with Questions, Moving Beyond the Answers. Now, again, like we said in the beginning of this series of shirim, there's going to be a continuity in the thread of thought that I'm attempting to tease out from within the writings of Ishbitz and Radzin so that each week is not necessarily building on the previous weeks, but rather is building a full picture of what it means to live in the world that Ishbitz and Radzin perceived as the subjective spiritual stance of an individual who chooses to serve God in their own particular way through their own particular heart. Now, last week, we spoke about living with doubt. We spoke about the constitutive element of this world being Ilana Desveka, the tree of doubt, which leads to a condition of confronting a world where clarity is outweighed by concealment and where more often than not, it's not apparent or clear which direction an individual must move so that their actions, their thought, and their emotions are aligned with what one might claim to be the divine will or the divine plan for creation. Now, we also spoke about how that suffix, that doubt, is a prerequisite for the purpose of creation, which is bechira, which is volitional action. And in contradistinction to so many interpreters of the school of Ishbitz and Radzin, who attempt to speak away the necessity of bechira because of certain themes that run through Ishbitz and Radzin, which we'll discuss in future weeks, I attempted to show through the texts themselves that Bechira is a foundational stone in the system of Ishbitz and Radzin, and that choosing deliberately which way we want to serve God is in fact predicated on concealment and predicated on doubt. So that serving God in a world that is filled with doubt is not a negative symptom of some primary trauma or cataclysm, but rather it is a primary mode of functioning in this world. So that doubt is not only seen as something that is not negative and not relegated to the heap of those things that need to be gotten rid of, but rather doubt becomes the foundation stone upon which we build our own subjectivity as well as our religious phenomenological experience in this world. And we ended last week with a commentary or an alignment with the teachings of Rav Chaim Vital in the name of the Arizal about doubt or the stakos of Reshadolo Isyada, the fact that there are certain doubts which are yet to be decided and cannot really be decided within the confines of this worldly reality, which stand at the apex of the Kabbalistic system of the Arizal, showing and pointing to the fact that through redeeming this ideal of doubt into the realm of spiritual and religious experience, a person can find within themselves the capacity of serving God, serving their higher power through a modality that was hitherto undiscussed in previous texts. Now, once we confront the fact that we live in a world that is under the shadow or under the glare of the Ilana Desveka, and that forces us to descend within ourselves in an intensified way to find the strength to overcome doubt, and to serve God or perfect ourselves or attempt to perfect ourselves, not in spite of the doubt, but particularly through the doubt, we're going to try and speak about this week a totsa'a, a symptom of that doubt. And like we said, each week is building upon itself. So we said that, first off, adam it would have been easier for a person to have not been born. 
But we showed through the texts of Ishbitz and Radzin that in spite of the fact that it would have been easier and more pleasant not to have been born, nevertheless, Chazal do not say mutav. Chazal do not use the language of it would have been better. They simply said it would have been easier. And out of that diuk, out of what Chazal didn't say, the Ishbitzer and Radzin Sadikim show that in spite of the fact that the conditions of this world are incredibly difficult and concealment outweighs revelation and darkness outweighs light, nevertheless, there is a promised benefit that emerges out of this worldliness and out of the neshama descending from its pristine light form into the darkness and concealment of this world. Nevertheless, in spite of all of those difficulties, there is still going to be a positive benefit that emerges. And then the next week we spoke about the playing field where a person finds themselves in the place of doubt so that we can be bocher, so that we can volitionally choose how to find God in this world. This week we're going to be speaking about a secondary symptom of doubt, what emerges in the human perspective once it's born after having tasted the Ilana Desveka, what we're going to be talking about is she'elos, questions and kushios and difficulties that a person has with regards to the world itself, with regards to themselves, and more importantly, and almost most powerfully, with regards to their higher power or with regards to HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself, Kavyachol. Now, in order to understand the ingenuity and the remarkable novelty contained within the base Medrash of Ishbitz and Radzin, we first have to look at how the typical rabbinical approach to questions is seen so that we can highlight the revolutionary and novel way that Ishbitz and Radzin approaches the question of questioning. Typically speaking, in both Talmudic literature, as well as Hasidus and mystical texts running through the base Midrash of the Vilna Gon and all of his students, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver and Rav Menachem and Mishklov and the Lashem Shvevachalayma, as well as different trends in Hasidus and especially in the writings of the Ramchal and his Talmud Mufak or Talmud Haver or even Rebbe according to some of Moshe David Vali, the question of questioning is always one that is tied up with klipa that a person needs to engage in questions and answers. A person needs to first and foremost fight through difficulties, fight through questions and difficulties that we find surrounding truth so that we can eventually come to the truth itself that rests hidden within the klipa of questioning. So from this perspective, and the source text that they use for this is actually a statement that Reb Chaim Vital Slusia Ganolenu writes about his Rebbe Diarizal in Pre Eitz Chaim in Shar Hanhagas Halimud, and this is brought down in Shar Hakavanos as well as well as in Shar Hamitzvos from the Shemayin Sharim, that when the Arizal would study halacha or when the Arizal would learn Gemara, he would exert such a profound level of strength to the point that he almost expired during learning. And Rav Chaim Vital comments on this, and he says, the reason that my Rebbe, the Arizal, spent so much time forcing himself into the depth of the sugya to the point of suffering was because the kernel of truth, the emes, or the answer that lies within the recesses of a sugya, is surrounded by klipa, is surrounded by shells. And these shells and these husks of concealment are in truth what causes kushios v'terutzim, causes that questioning and answering that a person must confront in any Talmudic learning as well as any halachic investigation. And the purpose of these kushios, the purpose of these questions are to be gotten rid of, to be thrown away for the sake of finally coming on to the answer. So the typical way that we look at questions, both from a revealed Torah perspective as well as a concealed Torah perspective, is that questions are impediments that result from the occlusion of truth in the world, and therefore they are temporary difficulties that we must confront as the world exists in its deferred state of imperfection in order to come upon the truth that rests within the question. So the question is secondary to the truth which becomes primary. And it would have been better from this perspective to live in a world without any confusion, to live in a world without any questions, but because we live in a world of gullus and deferred reality, we must deal with questions in order to come upon the answer. 
So from this perspective, questions are seen as insignificant things that must be gotten over and moved through and beyond for the sake of coming to the final destination of the answer. The question doesn't contain any validity in and of itself. It doesn't offer any spiritual potency to the individual, but rather it's an impediment and a difficulty that a person must move through and beyond until they can come to the truth. That's the typical approach to questions. That's the typical approach to difficulties that a person confronts in the world. For the world of Ishbitz and Radzin, and quite frankly, the only other place that we see such a full expression of this idea is in the writings of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, when it comes to the question of kushios, when it comes to the question of questions, what we find in the teachings of Ishbitz and Radzin is that questions themselves are not only a secondary difficulty that a person must move through in order to come upon the truth that rests hidden within the shell of the question, but rather the question itself represents a spiritual opportunity or a spiritual potency that in truth might even offer the individual a higher level of spirituality than the answer itself. So that engaging in questions and allowing ourselves to enter into that vulnerable space of not knowing what the answer to something is, both in an interpersonal way or an internal way or a halachic way or a philosophical way, the question is not simply something that must be gotten over in order to come upon the truth, but the question itself is the goal. The question itself is what elicits within the individual the beginnings or the stirrings of a spiritual quest. So that we can say, through the world of Ishbitz and Radzin, not only is the question not seen as something negative, but the question or the kushya or the she'ela is seen as one of the highest moments of spiritual activity wherein a person allows themselves to be overcome by a sense of not knowing, which forces them to run into the lap of faith. In contradistinction to other approaches to spiritual activity, the ideal is going to be certainty. The ideal is going to be knowing the specific answer as to how to move forward, both internally and externally. For Ishbitz and Radzin, and as we're going to see, this is the theme that we've been building from the beginning, and we're going to see it to the end as we talk about Rav Gersh and Hanach Leiner of Radzin's obsession with Tcheles, with the mitzvah of Tcheles, with the Tachles, with the Telos, with the purpose of Avodah Hashem, we're going to see that the question and the doubtful nature of things is not only not negative, but it's seen as the highest goal. It's seen as that which forces us to engage the deepest part of ourselves, which is in truth the closest that we come to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And in order to analyze the sources of this sugya, of she'elos, of questions, in the thought of Ishbitz and Radzin, it was more difficult for me to be mitzamsim, to choose particular makoros in this year than it has been in the previous year. Because while this is not a theme that is found 20 or 30 times in the writings, each source in the 10 or 15 sources that I've come across that discuss the idea of Sheila or questioning are so potent and so beautiful in their poetic expression of what it means to be a modern subject confronting the truth of godliness in a world that appears to be devoid of godliness, that it was difficult to choose which Makor to look at. But for our purposes, we're going to start with one of the more popular or famous teachings of the Meshiloach, in Meshiloach Chilak Aleph, which was again compiled and written by Rav Gershon Henech. So it's still representative of this expression of Ishbitz and Radzin through the lens of Rav Gershon Henech. But nevertheless, this is attributed and rooted in the Meshiloach himself. We're going to look at the first teaching of the Meshiloach in Parshas Lech Lecha. Famously, this teaching is known because the Ishbitzer, Rav Mordechai Yosef, when he looks at the Pasuk of Lech Lecha, Me'artzecha, Umimoladecha, Umibesavicha, the Ishbitzer famously reads this Pasuk as Lech Lecha, not according to the common Meforshim who say Lech Lecha, go for your own sake, or go for your own benefit, or go for your own propagation of your name. The Ishbitzer 
in the deliberate misreading which the Hasidic masters allowed for themselves through the hermeneutics of spirituality, Rav Mordechai Yosef reads Lech Lecha, not as Lech Lecha for your own purposes, but Lech Lecha, move into yourself. Move inwards. Find the truth of God within yourself. In confronting Avraham Avinu, the opening of monotheistic faith, or ethical monotheism, the first call to the first Jew, Avraham Avinu is called Lech Lecha. Move inwards. Look inside of yourself if you want to try and confront spirituality in this world. If you want to remove yourself out of the abysmal experience of polytheism, of a bira dolekes, like the Medrash says, of a lit-up palace. And we've said this before, that there are common interpreters who look at the famous Medrash that says that Avram Avinu was contemplating the world. Abraham was contemplating the world of polytheism. And it was almost as if he stumbled upon a bira dolekes, a lit-up palace. And Avram Avinu was forced to ask the question, could it be that this palace is without an architect? Could it be that something so regulated, so profoundly efficient in the way it functions, could it be that this world is without an architect? And the common way that this medrash is interpreted is that Bira Dolekas means a lit up palace, something that was illuminated, something that calls to the mind's eye a sense of order. But Rav Yehuda Mechel Tukachinsky in his Gesher Achayim and different Sadikim and the Meshiloach was asking the same question. Read that statement of the Medrash, Bira Dolekes, a lit up palace, in a different way. Instead of seeing Bira Dolekes as an illuminated palace, as a place that is lit up, that holds the stamp of divinity in it, Bira Dolekes can also be read as a burning palace, a broke down palace something that is in ruins, something that is destroyed. And the tzaddikim who read the Medrash in this way say that Avram Avinu was so confounded by the suffering that he saw in the world, so confounded by the oppositional trends that he saw in the world, having lived through Migdal Bavel, having seen people go one direction and their brother go the other direction to the point that they were operating in polar opposites, Avram Avinu confronted a world that was not illuminated, but rather that was on fire, a combustion, something that appeared to be devoid of order and filled with suffering. And this Bira Dolekes, this burning palace, Avram Avinu comes along and he says, is it possible that this burning palace is without an architect? Is it possible that all of this diffusion and confusion and concealment and different directions wherein each individual is stuck in their own confines of subjectivity and doubt and personal suffering, could it be that there's no creator that stands above this? And it was specifically this questioning that gave birth to Avram Avinu's quest to find HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the world. So that for Ishbitz and Radzin, as we're going to see in the Meshilach in a moment, the question is the birthplace of faith. If we want to know where did Avram Avinu, where did the patriarch, the paradigm, the archetype of ethical monotheism find within himself the capacity to reach beyond himself, it was in the fact that his heart was questioning, that he was filled with doubt and filled with questions and saying, what in the world is going on here? And the Meshilach writes as follows. He says, Vayomer Hashem el Avram lech lecha me'artzacha. Once Avram Avinu decided, after having experienced all manners of polytheism and all manners of this worldliness, once Avram Avinu decided to seek out and to search after the source of his own particular subjectivity, his own situatedness in this world, the murmurings of his own heart, once Avram Avinu reached the point in his mind to recognize that all sensual pleasures of this world, all fullness that this world has to offer, does not amount to something that can be referred to as true life, true life in the sense that it forces a person to confront themselves, to be brutally honest with themselves, 
to confront the demons and the difficulties and those things which we so deeply want to run away from. The pleasures of this worldliness were not enough to force Avram Avinu into himself. He called Chemdas Elamazehu Rak Lahasir Tirdos Vahamanios. I can't stress enough how in these four words, the Meshiloach contains an entire theory of confronting addiction and recovery and difficulty in this world. Because Avram Avinu came to realize that all worldly pleasures, whether they be psychological, emotional, interpersonal, physical, the entire purpose that this worldly pleasure serves is to simply remove difficulty from us. Help us cope with the fact that Help us cope with the fact that it would have been easier not to be born. But Avram Avinu realized that if the entire purpose of this worldly pleasure is simply to remove from me this feeling of pain and difficulty in life, then what happens once I have the good life? What happens once I find myself in the expanses of my experience where I'm no longer bothered or perturbed or suffering from the difficulty of this world? Then what? What happens once I'm okay? It's not enough, Avram Avinu says. Religiosity, spirituality needs to speak not only to the positive experiences in this world, not only to the situations where we feel comfortable, but rather it must give value and presence and purpose to the difficulties, to the tirdos. And so Avram Avinu continues and he says, Avram Avinu is asking Hashem, he says, what happens once I feel okay in this world? If the entire purpose of existence is to try and feel okay, so now that I feel okay, what now? So clearly Avram Avinu says there's a deeper purpose. There has to be a purpose in life that even gives reason to times where I'm not okay. And because of this questioning, Hashem says, Lech lecha, move inwards. Stop trying to account for the significance of your existence based on things outside of yourself, based on external markers, but rather move inwards and find within your own self your own validity for spirituality. Find within your own self, your own inner experiences, the own murmurings of your heart, your own questions that you don't express to anyone but your own mind as you lay your head down on the pillow in this broke-down palace. Because in truth, the entirety of this world is not referred to as life. The Meshiloach says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Avram, if you want to find life, you have to find it within yourself, within your own subjective experience, within your own personal hearts, within your own emotional situatedness in this world, unencumbered and untethered to what anybody else might be experiencing. Va'asa togil ba'Hashem. And then you'll come to find joy in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ba'alzeh ne'emar b'medrash. And the Meshiloach continues and he says... Mihu Balhabira. Avram Avinu is so overwhelmed when he moves inwards and he confronts the fact that the world is on fire and that he has these dual traits within himself, this polytheistic tendency that emerges out of Terach and this monotheistic tendency which emerges out of Avram Avinu's knighthood of faith, which is willing to abandon all structure, to abandon everything that he knows and to take that deep leap of faith like Kierkegaard writes in Fear and Trembling, and Rosalovetschik echoes so often. And the Meshulach continues and he says, Hitzis alav balhabira. The Lashon of the Medrash is that once Avram Ivinu asks the question of mihu balhabira, who, again, who is the architect, a form of questioning. And the Medrash continues and it says, Hitzis alav balhabira. The architect himself revealed himself to Avraham through Avraham himself, a love with an ayin, ayin lamad yud vav, based on Avraham's own experience. And the Meshulach asks a wonderful question with the Beish Yaakov echoes as well as the Sod Yisharim. It would have been better for it, say, for it to be saying, Hitzis alav balhabira. It would have been better had the Medrash written that because Avraham Avinu asked this question, Hashem revealed himself to Avram, a love, to him, Aleph Lamed Yudvav. 
But the Medrash says, Allah, Ayin Lamed Yodvav. The implication being that HaKadosh Baruch Hu revealed himself to the essence of Avram Avinu's soul or personality. Not to the question of Avram, but rather to Avraham himself. The difference between Elav with an Aleph and Allah with an Ayin is that Hashem responded to Avram's questioning to Avraham himself, to the experience of Avraham himself, and not specifically to Avraham's contemplations, but rather to Avraham himself, to the nature of Avraham's soul. And the Meshilach says, what's Pshat? Why is it that the Medrash says that Hashem responded to Avraham's experience of questioning and not to the questions of Avraham? The Meshilach reads this as saying that Hashem was not answering the question of Avraham, but Hashem was coming to the question of Avraham, to the fact that Avraham himself was questioning. And the Meshilach continues and he says, Ach, the truth of the answer is, Biros Avraham avinu alav hashalom as esek dor haflaga, zos yikra b'shem bira dolekes. In truth, Avraham's experience, his historical situatedness, his exposure to suffering in the world, that's what the burning palace is. That's what this broke down palace is. Because it was a wonder in his eyes. And it emerged within his soul. Who created all of this? Where does this chaos emerge from? It must come from someplace. The architect revealed himself to the nature of Abraham's soul itself. Hashem's answer to him was, Look into yourself. Look at your own situatedness. Because the entire world is unbothered. Nobody else is asking these questions. Nobody else is asking the question, where does this chaos come from? You yourself are asking the question. By dint of the fact that you're asking the question, that should be enough of a proof to the fact that there is something beyond you. Because if there was nothing beyond you, from whence do these questions emerge? The basic fact that Avram Avinu's soul was murmuring questions and doubts, Hashem responds to him, your questioning and your doubt is enough of a proof. The entirety of the world is not asking these questions. No one else in the world is asking these questions. Only in your eyes is it a wonder. And from the confusion of your own heart, you can conjecture and you can assume, In truth, there must be a creator because your heart is questioning. No one else is questioning. It's the questions that you have that are the basis of your faith. I question, therefore I am. The fact that you have the capacity to question where is God the fact that you confront a world that appears to be devoid of order, your knowledge of that, your awareness that things should be a different way, that leads you to question why things aren't that way, that question itself is enough to allow you to encounter the truth of a creator. Nimse boira soivel kol almin. Soivel kol almin, he who tolerates all the worlds. I was speaking to my good friend David Weinberg about this, that this is really not found elsewhere. We know of a concept of soviv kol almin or mamalek kol almin, God as the filler of all worlds, or who, he who surrounds all worlds. But in Ishbet and Radzin, there's a new language called sovel kol almin, he who tolerates all worlds. Savlanut, as we're going to see in future shirim, is both a question of tolerance as well as suffering, as well as waiting, as well as patience, as well as the ability to wait upon something that is not present at this point. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Sovel Kalamun. And through the questions of Avram Avinu, that is proof enough of the fact that there is something that is Sovel Kalamun. That all of this difficulty and all of this pain and all of these sveikos comes from someplace higher than itself. And the Meshulah continues and he says, Umemele Kalamun hu v'hir libcha v'nafshecha This higher power causes you to question and now we can answer the question in the Medrash. 
Why does it say that Hashem revealed himself to Avram Avinu in the sense of based on the questioning of his soul as opposed to answering his questions? And the Meshiloch answers and he says, that the question itself is enough of an answer. That the initial movement towards faith, the initial step towards believing in something greater than ourselves is the fact that I'm bothered by the fact that that thing is not present. The fact that I have a question about something, that questioning doesn't come from my own heart. That questioning comes from a loftier place. And that was proof enough for Avram Avinu. Lech lecha, move into yourself. Go inwards and recognize that by the nature of your questioning soul itself, that's enough to prove that there is a source of the questioning. So we see from this Meshiloach that it's not in the answer that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is found, but it's rather in the questioning act itself. The fact that I am interested in knowing why the world is so difficult, the fact that I am not satisfied with the world as it appears nowadays, is enough of a proof for me to recognize that there is something greater because that is where the questions are born from. The questions emerge out of an assurance within the soul that there must be another way to view the world. And that was the beginning of the ethical monotheistic path, the questioning of Avram Avinu himself. Now what we're going to look at is the source in the Sod Yasharim. Rav Gersha of Radzin, in his Ma'amar Man Pesach, in Oshei of Leil Pesach, says as follows, and this is catching the Sod Yasharim in the middle of a teaching. So we're reading this slightly out of context. The Sod Yasharim continues and he says, if we find, based on the teachings of the Meshiloach, that questioning is the source of our amuna, that the fact that we have questions about Hashem, the fact that we have questions about the world, the fact that we have questions about ourselves, is enough of a proof that there is an answer that stands just outside of our capacity to understand. That's enough of a proof to God. But the Meshiloach, the Sodhisharm asks the question. He says, we asked the question in the beginning. The question points to the fact that we don't know something. But what happens when we come to a place of knowledge? Then what service does the question play? If questions fall away after we find the answer to them, so that negates the sense that questioning is a fundamental aspect of faith. That points again to the old model, which sees questioning as some inessential process towards an answer. But if as the Meshiloach is expressing that the questioning itself, the questions within our own heart are proof enough of the fact that we seek out an answer from a power greater than ourselves, so what happens after the answer is given? What room is there for questioning? And the Sodhisharam explains as follows. And this is again in the fifth teaching in Sodhisharam Alamoadim in Leil Pesach. He says as follows Kemoshimatsinu Gave Avramavinu, like we find by Avramavinu Alavashalom, Shehitrilishol mi bara'ela, that the emergence of his faith was the question of who created these. Who created all of this distinction? Who created all of this separateness? Who created all of this confusion? Who created all of this darkness? Who created all of this opposition? Who created all of this difficulty? Who created all of this concealment? Who created all of this hopelessness? Who created all of this machlokas? Who created all of this feeling of being lost? Who created all of this anxiety? Who created all of those feelings of self-doubt that we're assaulted with on a day-to-day -day basis? Who created all of the fears that we engage day-to-day -day life with? Those questions, it's what Avram Avinu, to the birth of faith. What happens after they're created? What happens after they're answered? And the Soyi Sharm continues and he says, Because the question of me, of who, stands to be questioned. And here the Sodhisharim, as well as the Meshiloach, are referencing a teaching in the Zohar HaKadosh on the Aleph Amad Aleph. And this teaching in the Zohar is so significant that I'm going to read it out loud. 
And I'm going to read it actually from the Pritzker translation, from Danny Matt's translation, as printed in the Stanford edition of the yellow translation of the Zohar, a remarkable renaissance in Zohar scholarship, which represents almost an unparalleled point where the academic approach to the Zohar HaKadosh and the religious approach or the authentic approach to the Zohar HaKadosh kiss. And Danny Matt translates as follows. Rabbi Elazar opened. The Pasuk says, lift your eyes on high and see who created these. Look on high and see who created this. Significantly representing the questioning of Avram Avinu, who created all of these things that I see. To which site, the Zohar asks, where are we supposed to turn our eyes? The site towards which all eyes gaze. Our eyes are turned through the act of questioning to the source of questioning to the birthplace of questioning, to that abiding faith that we have within ourselves that this world is worth questioning. Because without a creator, without a higher power, questions would be utterly meaningless. So our eyes are turned upwards toward that place, towards Pesach Enayim, towards that place upon which all eyes gaze. There you will discover that the concealed ancient one, the concealed ancient one, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Atika Stima'a, that which is removed from history. Ancient days, like Rabbi Nachman HaKadosh says, Sipori Maisios Me Shanim Kadmonios, tales from ancient days, a time that was removed from this worldly history. Susceptible to questioning, that first place where our mind is capable of contemplating and questioning. Who is that? Who are we questioning? The answer is who? Me. Mem Yud. The question of mi bara ele, the question that each religious subject has in their mind of who created this world, of the doubts that we have and the questions that we have in our own personal existence, all of that leads us to a spiritual place, to a, a form of godliness in this world, which is described in the Zohar as me, as who, that the questioning itself is a path of spirituality. That questioning itself is a way of encountering godliness in this worldliness. The Sodhi Sharm continues and he says, Mihu Balhabira, who is the architect? Ad Shehishivlo Hashem Yisbarach, Shezos Hashe'ela Humiyaste Haaretz. That this question itself, the fact that you're questioning Avram Avinu, the fact that you as a particular individual in 2019 are asking questions about yourself, about other people, about the way that the world works, that is the foundation of the world. Again, these words are so profound. This question itself is enough of an answer. The fact that you're questioning is enough of a proof that there is something to question. The fact that we find within ourselves this Jewish propensity to question things, answering questions with questions, and perpetually questioning things to find the deep truth of them, the question itself is enough of a proof that there is something worth questioning. The birthplace of questions within the heart emerges from the question itself, the question with a capital Q, of me, an appellation or a name of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, the one who should be questioned that Hashem's relationship on a certain level with us in this world is one of questioning, is one of revolting, is one of fighting against the absence of answers and pushing forward and surging forth with the chutzpahdik brazen questions of where are you, Hashem? Where are you in this world that appears to be so devoid of justice, so devoid of meaning, so devoid of order? This questioning itself is enough of a birthplace and an answer to it. Because there's nobody else asking this question, says the Sodi Sharam. Rather, you are. And through the questioning itself, you're capable of disclosing who the architect is. Because I have placed within you this desire to question, this undying desire which seeks out answers to questions that remain unanswerable which damns us to a religious experience to live in a space devoid of answers, 
it's specifically in the questioning of ourselves and other people and the world and God where we confront the deepest point of the birthplace of our spirituality. Because I have placed within you this desire to question. I have given you these questions. There's no one else other than you questioning who is the architect of this broke down palace. There's nobody else who's questioning who is the creator of all this chaos. Because when they see chaos, they see meaninglessness. But when we see chaos, we find meaning. Because the fact that chaos and destruction and difficulty awakens within our hearts, that undying eternal question of where are you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Ayaka, badad. Where are you? How could it be that this is the way the world is sitting in destitution? These questions are the biggest proof to our faith itself. The Sod Yasharim continues in his Haktama to the Zohar and he writes something incredible. The Sod Yasharim says that not only are these questions a proof to faith, but these questions remain even after we find the answers. Because in the beginning when a person questions something, that questions emerges out of ignorance. When I don't know what the answer to something is, that's when I ask a question about something. But from the perspective of Judaism, from the perspective of the subjective spiritual experience as disclosed in the writings of Ishbitz and Radzin, the question contains a value even beyond the answer to the question. That even if Lu Yitzur, if it could be that we would have answers to all of our difficulties, answers to all of our questions, we would still have a need for questioning. And in the beginning, our question is rooted in ignorance, but at the end, our question is rooted in the sense that even when I know something, even when I have a positive answer to my question, nevertheless, questioning still remains the paradigm of my faithful posture. It's only in questioning this world that I have the capacity to find HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ishbitz and Radzin have no place for Yediya, have no place for utter knowledge of godliness. And as we're going to see, that's because it's ontologically impossible for an individual to have a full grasp of God in this world. Therefore, full knowledge of something is the failure of spirituality. It's only in the doubts, it's only in those pockets of questioning, in those pockets of difficulties where a person's soul is ignited to seek out of itself, where questioning begins the path, the quest of spirituality, the quest of questioning, if you will. It's only there that we find that the question must survive its answer, that it's not enough for the question to be answered, but the question must have the power to survive its answer so that even when we know the answer to what we asked, there's still room within our souls that questions more because it's only in the asking of me, bara Ela, who created this? Where are you, Hashem, in my personal life, in the collective life of the world itself? That's where we come closest to God because it's only in the abandonment of self-knowledge. It's only in the abandonment and the foreclosure upon human reasoning that we can actually find within ourselves true faith like Avram Avinu. And the Sod Yasharim expresses this in an explicit way, as clearly as possible to the point that the question of hermeneutical interpretation upon the reader is no longer at play because the text itself expresses it so explicitly. The Sod Yasharim continues in his Haktama to the Zohar HaKadosh and he says as follows, that in the beginning, the questions are because we don't know the answer. No one is seeking out who is the creator of this world except for you. However, after all of the work of Avram Avinu, once he reached the 50th gate, once he reached the full culmination of knowledge, and here the Sod Yisharim, the Sod Yisharim is rooting himself in ancient, ancient Kabbalistic tradition. He's rooting himself in the parish of the Ravid, the parish of the Ravid on Sefer Yetzira, when discussing the Nun Shari Bina, the 50 gates of human understanding, the 50 ways of encountering this world, 
surprisingly and almost antithetically, the Raivid sees the 50 Sharibina, the Nun Sharibina, and the 50 questions that Eov is asked by HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the 39th parak of Eov. After Eov goes through all of his suffering, after Job has lost everything, similar to the encounter of Avram Avinu prior to his revelation of Lech Lecha, after Eov's friends have failed him, after human reasoning has failed him in confronting the question of suffering, HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes sa'ara, out of the whirlwind and he asks him 49 questions, 50 questions. And the Raivid and other Mikubalim see these 50 questions that Hashem questions Eov as the paradigm of the Nun Sharibina, as the 50 gates of understanding, which even without the Meshiloach is cause for pause because the highest goal of human experience, the Nun Sharibina, 50 ways of understanding, are in truth the 50 questions, the existential anomalies and antinomies that God confronts Eov with. And it's in these 50 questions that the Sod Yisharim finds the deepest expression of faith. And Aleila Anibocha, upon these I cry, the Sod Yisharim himself, according to his son, Rav Mordechai, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, so I want to make sure I say it correctly. The Sodhisharm son, Mordechai Yosef Eliezer Liner, the Teferis Yosef, writes in his Abkama to the Teferis Achanochi, the Sodhisharm's parish on the Zohar, that his father wrote a parish, a commentary on these 50 questions. And it's clear and explicit in the beginning of Sodhisharm al Torah, but al Eilani Bocha, we don't have it with us. But these 50 questions, it's the questioning itself, the questions of Eov. They represent the apex of faith. And the Sodhi Sharm continues and he says, once Avram Avinu reached the 50th gate of understanding, once Avram Avinu has moved through all 50 questions of the soul, of the world, of other people, of suffering, of difficulty, of pain, of meaninglessness, and all of the things that the Sudhyos of Ishbitz and Radzin are coming to confront, what happens then? What happens when there are no more questions? So the Sodhi Sharm continues and he says, <clears throat> After all of the avoda of Avram Avinu, once he reached the 50th gate, and in the Zohar Kadosh, on that 50th gate of reaching the apex of questions, the Zohar says, Because an individual has emerged the rungs of spiritual activity and has come to question God from level to level, to the point that he seems to have reached the apex of understanding. Once he's reached there, a person knows absolutely nothing. Once a person has reached the apex of questioning and has found all of the answers, once again it's revealed that a person knows absolutely nothing. And again, in the echoes of Rabbi Nachman HaKadosh, the idea is tachlis hayadiyah that the spiritual ideal is not one of knowledge, not one of rational contemplation, but rather one of suspended belief, of confronting the realization that we cannot know anything that as human beings, we know nothing other than the bare fact of our own existence at this present moment. Everything else is a question of faith. Everything else is a question of abandoning ourselves to the she'ela, to the quest, to the questioning of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to the tefillah that emerges out of the lack of knowledge. It's only there that we find the pervading sense of faith that can survive answers and that can survive the pain of Gullus. And the Sodhi continues and he says as follows. Once a person reaches the 50th gate where all questions are answered, then the end of the process is rooted in its beginning. The beginning of the process was the question of not knowing. The end of the process is coming to the culmination of knowledge. And the Zohar HaKadosh says that the end is rooted in the beginning that the final answer to the last question that we might have gives birth to a new question, gives birth to a new level of confusion. And 
And once we've reached the apex of knowledge, the apex of answers, we revert back to the first question, which is who created all of this? Even when I've reached the deepest contemplation of what God is, of who God is, of who I am, I'm forced to confront the basic existential reality that I know absolutely nothing, and I'm thrown back into the realm of questioning. Except, the Sodi Sharm continues, In the beginning, that question emerged from a degraded state of spirituality, one of ignorance and one of not knowing because I didn't have enough information. And small things, which is not the case when a person reaches that 50th gate of understanding, a full expression of the self, it's that same question of who are you, Hashem? Where are you, Hashem? Who am I as an individual? Except now it's on a more profound level. Now I've elevated myself one rung on the ladder of spiritual development. So that what began as a question and ended with an answer opens up onto a new question, which will then lead to a new answer. Ad infinitum. Because as we're going to see next week, Bezra Hashem, the negative theology of the Ishbitzer and Madziner Tzadikim rooted very deeply in Maimonidean theory of the Rambam Shita, of Derech Ashlila, of not being capable of expressing any positive expression of a Kaddish Baruch Hu in this world, because the infinite can never be fully grasped by the finite. The only way that we can confront God in this world is by way of questioning. But the Sodi Sharm ends this teaching with something remarkable. And he says that the entire purpose of questioning is to allow for there to be desire in the world. Answers are the end of desire, are the end of seeking out. They end the process of my soul seeking something beyond itself. The question allows for the soul to continue in its questioning, to continue in its quest, to continue in its yearning, to continue in a sense of lack, of desire that emerges out of not having something. In these teachings, in ensuring that the question survives the answer, and that Amuna survives Yadiya, and that desire survives that which we desire, the Meshiloach and the Beis Yaakov and the Sodisharim are ensuring that our religious and spiritual activity can sustain itself Adviya Samashiach. And what we're going to see next week, Bezra Sashem, is how the dissatisfaction of the soul, how the fact that nothing can satisfy the soul. Even Torah and mitzvahs are not enough to satisfy the soul. Even answers are not enough to satisfy questions. Even clarity is not enough to satisfy suffix. Because for Ishbetz and Radzin, suffix and she'ela and not knowing become the foundation from which the individual is capable of propelling themselves towards a deeper level of contemplating God, which is specifically by way of negativity, specifically by way of not knowing. And Bezras Hashem, that's what we're going to be discussing next week. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.